The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come this morning and we confess together that we are more like this crowd than we like to admit we have idols that we've snuck into this room with us. And Lord, we're praying for your mercy and your grace to reveal them and help us repent of them. And then, Lord, uh, walk away from them by your grace so that your name would be hallowed in our hearts, so that you would receive the the praise you're due, so that the, the neighborhoods and the nations would know you are great. So, Lord, come and work among us by your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this second half of Acts 19 shows us actually the exact opposite reaction to the power and the presence of Jesus that we saw last week. So I'll remind you of what happened last week at the end of our crazy story. You remember last week there was uh, preaching and there were baptisms and there was more preaching in the synagogues. Then there was healings of diseases and casting out of demons. Then there were these seven guys trying to cast out demons, but not in the name of Jesus. And the demon mastered all seven of them, right? We said last week that, you know, you lose a fight when you leave without your clothes. And the point of that story is to show the power of God. Right? If Paul, in the name of Jesus cast out all these demons when people just take their cloaks and their handkerchiefs that he touched to them, and then one demon can master seven people, the point and the reason the whole city trembled was that Jesus is very powerful and his name should be hallowed. And we saw these believers that were new believers come and burn their magic books that were worth a lot of money. And so the question we'd ask is, why did they do that? Why burn these books? And the answer is because the power and presence of Jesus came to them through the preaching of the Word and the power of the Spirit, and they saw Jesus as their treasure. He's what we want. We can leave our money, we can leave our wealth, we can leave our power, we can leave our fame behind. He's what we want. It was a really big deal that that happened. Here's what Ephesus was like. It was a city of about 200,000 people, which in ancient times was was huge. It was one of the biggest cities in the whole empire of Rome. They actually believed, there was this, this legend, that a meteor had dropped from the heavens and it was the image of Artemis, the goddess they were devoted to. And so because of this, this legend, this gift from the very heavens, a huge temple was built. In fact, this temple to Artemis, if you're trying to wrap your mind around how big of a deal was this in Ephesus, this temple of Artemis was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. This is a big deal. Tourism, therefore, was huge. Everyone wanted to come and see this amazing temple. People made the trek from all around the empire to see the great shrine of Artemis, also known as Diana to sacrifice to her, to to feed her. And then on your way out of town, what did you have to do? 
buy a little statue of her. <laughs> he could bring home to sacrifice to her and feed her, right? It's like an airport uh, store. On your way out of the city, grab something to remember her by. So Ephesus was a big deal. And the magic and the demonic powers and the economy surrounding Artemis was a big reason why. So in the people of Ephesus was this identity Right, we'll see that later in this chapter. They just start chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Right? We're great because Artemis is great. But for the believers there, they gave up their slice of all of that because they knew Jesus was better. They knew He was the only God that would take care of them, that had laid down His life for them, that had sacrificed for them rather than one they always had to take care of and sacrifice to. He was real. He was their treasure. And so the money and the fame and the power and the comfort that came with their dark arts was just not appealing anymore. Just didn't need it anymore. Did you have anything like that when you came to know Jesus? It's one of my favorite parts about talking to new believers. Very often... There's just certain sins or things that you thought brought you comfort or joy or hope or acceptance that suddenly when you saw Jesus just seemed empty. <laughs> they were just gone, right? Suddenly pornography or anger or power or popularity or whatever suddenly wasn't needed and therefore you could just stop feeding that idol. And that's what happens when the power and presence of Jesus is seen as a treasure, when, when He's my everything. But sometimes, in our world and in our hearts, Jesus is not seen as a treasure, and if He's not a treasure, He can only be a threat. He's either a treasure or He's a threat. What else can he be? If someone comes to you and says, I am your only hope for salvation, and you're not seeing that as a treasure, what do you do with all those other things you hope in? Right? Or if he says, you have to follow me if you want abundant life. You have to lay down everything else, count all else as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing me, and you don't want to count everything else as lost quite yet. What do you do with all those other things you love that he says will destroy you? Right? And this is natural. We don't have to learn to protect our idols. Have you ever seen two kids that are about one years old that want the same toy? Right? This is natural. You know if you're a parent and you're sitting there and your one-year-old just happens to share with someone, you're just going, oh my gosh, what just happened? Praise God. Because right? the most natural thing in the world is to fight to protect our stuff. We want what we want and we want it now. You see, Jesus loves us too much to let our idols live. And so He either becomes ultimate treasure or He becomes ultimate threat. We have two choices. Receive Him as treasure or view Him as threat. And that's what our passage is all about today. So let's dive into point number one here and just look at the reality of idolatry. I just want to start by just summarizing this whole story in just a few paragraphs. This story is not real complicated. 
(laughs) It's not a complicated story. Paul stays in town in Ephesus as he sent his buddies on to Macedonia. So they go on to minister there. Paul stays behind in verses 21 to 22. And in verse 23, we see that soon after they leave, there's a big disturbance about this new, strange Christianity that is sweeping the great city of Ephesus and the goddess of Artemis. So in verses 24 to 41, here's what happens in a nutshell. There's a group of silversmiths that were likely responsible for making these little airport images of Artemis that start a riot to try to drive all of the Christians out of their city. Why would they do that? Right? This is not complicated. Why would they do that? Because it's stealing their business. <laughs> they like money. They like power. They like their place in society. Paul is ruining their economy. No one is going to want to buy those little idols anymore, right? They just saw a whole group of people burn all their magic books <laughs> with tons and tons and tons of money. And if people aren't going to practice this magic, they're probably not going to keep buying these little shrines. And so what do they do? They start a riot, and a bunch of people join in. And anyone that tries to speak gets shouted down, and instead the crowd chants for hours two different times in this passage, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They drag in a couple of Paul's friends. All we hear is that they drag them in. We don't see them again in the story at all. Paul's trying to get in there, try to help his friends, make a defense. They won't let him come in. And they start a wild riot in the city saying that the Christians are trying to dishonor Artemis. I love uh, humor in the Bible as I read. And just one verse that I laughed out loud about every single time I got to it is verse 32. Where Luke tells us that most of the people shouting and riding had no idea why they were there. It's like, why are you here? I don't know. It was my lunch break. Right? I don't know. It seemed like a good thing to do. And so all these people are riding. But, but it's funny, but this is us. Like, this is our culture right now. <laughs> right? They start a wild ride. They're simply seduced by the crowd, seduced by the moment to join in. So kids, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a fight and like 10 minutes into it, you don't remember why you're fighting anymore? Any kids ever done that? Stone's done that. He's saying yes. (laughs) What about you adults? Adults ever been about 15, 20 minutes into a fight and you got no idea what you're fighting about anymore? The Jews, here's, here's the insanity of idolatry. The Jews even try to get one of their own guys to stand up. And here's what this guy would have said. Here's what Alexander would have said. He would have said, y'all are right, the Christians are crazy, the Jews are not them. That's what he would have said. The Jews didn't like the Christians, but here, the city of Artemis in its pride goes, no one else is talking. <laughs> Only us. And they shout him down, though he would have defended them and been on their side. Finally, a reasonable town clerk gets up and simply says, stand down. Everyone knows Artemis is great. It's okay, guys. Chill out. Right? These guys aren't going to stop the whole world from knowing that Artemis is great. Plus, secret, they didn't do anything wrong. And if people find out that we're riding when no one has actually done anything wrong, you know who's in trouble? Not them, us. Rome will come and lay the smack down on us, not them for our foolishness. 
self-protecting, reasonable clerk simply states the facts and dismisses the crowd. This is the second time in a row now we've seen a city official used by God to actually protect the believers. And Luke means to show it. It's one of the reasons he includes it in the story is that we would never miss the providence of God to protect and build his church and spread his name even during conflict and difficulty. So that's what happened. What I want to look at is, why did that happen? Why did this riot happen? Where did it come from? Where did it start? And how did it spread? What is at the heart of it? Well, I think at the heart of this scene is idolatry. Now, you might say, yes, Dave, obviously there's a big statue they worship and a bunch of little statues that they're making. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idolatry of the heart. That that's where this started. You remember last week when I said, if you follow anxiety and anger down to the roots, very often you will find an idol. If you follow that that gnawing anxiety that you've been hanging on to over and over again and that, that burning anger inside of you down to the roots, often what you will find is an idol. And I think that's what we find here. Notice Demetrius, the leader of the silversmiths, in verses 24 to 27. What he says to them. And I want you just to ask the question, what's driving him? What's going on in his heart as he gathers this little group of people? Well, I think it's anxiety. He's anxious about something. What he's anxious about is the power and presence of Jesus appears to be very strong and it is threatening his livelihood. It's threatening his prosperity. Paul is telling people everywhere that Jesus is God and that gods made with human hands are not gods. That's a true quote. Paul just said that a couple chapters ago. If too many people keep burning their books because they find salvation in Jesus, who, by the way, seems pretty powerful, they stop buying the idols of Artemis, Demetrius is out of business. He's out of business. So what is being threatened here? Well, his his comfort's being threatened. Right? His, His career is being threatened. His wealth is being threatened. His prestige is being threatened. His power. All of that is on the table for Demetrius in this moment. And Jesus, therefore, in this moment is not a treasure to him. What is Jesus to him? He's a threat. So he's trying to get ahead of Jesus here. Trying to rally the crowd before Jesus can do too much damage. And so he goes into protection mode of his idols. In other words, the bottom line with the idols of our heart is that we are counting on other things to bring us comfort, protection, and salvation that only Jesus can bring. That's what an idol is. We're counting on other things to bring us comfort and protection and salvation that only Jesus can bring. And when Jesus shows up and says, leave those things behind and follow me into life, when we're not ready, idolatry fights against him and protects our stuff. Hold on to it. And if you're a good Christian, you say, like, I'll pray about that. You pray about disobeying me? You don't need to pray about that. That's what idolatry does when Jesus comes and he's a threat. So here, here's a question for us right away. Where do you see this in your life? Maybe your job's an idol. 
right? Just the power and the prestige and the career that it gets for you, the pats on the back that you get, maybe your job's an idol. Let me give you a hard one. Maybe your children are an idol. Does your life revolve around them? Are you easily offended for them? Are you kind of obsessed with their comfort and their success? It's the suburbs. <laughs> Drive around and see it. Maybe your marriage is an idol. Do you expect your spouse to provide for you what only Jesus can? Looking to them for your acceptance, your joy, right? Your hope. Or is your comfort or control an idol? Do you find yourself doing whatever it takes to avoid pain? To manage every circumstance to make sure it doesn't get too out of control? Maybe your image is an idol. Do you need to protect what people really know about you because you find your comfort by people thinking highly of you? And if you let someone in, they might see it's a little bit more messy than your Facebook profile. Or maybe pleasure is your idol. Do you constantly feed the idol of lust? What areas is the power and presence of Jesus more of a threat to you than a treasure to you? Where do you know you're resisting Jesus to protect those idols and saying some nice Christian words to put it off another week or another month? Point number two, the riot of idolatry. Let me show you where idolatry just continues to get really ugly. And one of the ways that it does is that idolatry is contagious. We think, in our foolishness and in our love for our idols, we think that we can keep our little idols locked away in their secret rooms. And once in a while, when everyone else is looking the other way, sneak into those rooms, open the door, make our sacrifices, and just lock the door back up and no one's hurt. Right? No one's hurt by your idol, Right? Who are you hurting by just letting that bitterness smolder? Who are you hurting by clicking that link for a few minutes? Who are you hurting by whispering that little nugget of gossip? Who are you really hurting? But the problem is, that we've seen in this chapter, is that these idols are filled with fleshly lust and demonic power. And they keep sneaking out of those rooms, don't they? Right? They sneak into your family conversations. They sneak into your workplace. They sneak in to your small group. They sneak into our worship services. And you have to begin to lie and cover up and play games in your mind. And then other people get caught up in the mess with you. And that's what Demetrius does, right? He gets all these other people involved. The gossip mill starts, the whispering begins. Right? We know already that the real motivation is that his business will be lost. I mean, that's, that's what he opens with to these guys. Guys, we're in trouble. <laughs> Our business is going to be lost. But notice what idolatry does. Notice how he has to make it more noble. So what does he do? He says, there's danger that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be counted as Nothing. Bringing their goddess into the picture is certainly more respectable than the greedy idolatry of his heart. So he just does a little quick distraction, right? It's not about me. It's about this really noble cause. 
The real motivation is business will be lost, but he makes it about this other noble concern. What's happening in our hearts personally in that moment of idolatry and as the contagion spreads is a spirit of rioting against Jesus. Shaking our fist against Jesus, doing whatever we have to to get the crowds against him to cover up our own idols. We have idols to protect. And if we're honest, it's frankly easier to begin a whisper campaign or get loud and angry about some noble cause or blame other people than it is to just deal with our own hearts. It's just a lot easier. I don't have to go think about anything. I just blame other people. It's easier to blame other people and other things than to start with a long, hard look at the idols we so desperately need to feel safe, secure, and even saved. So here's what happens. We see it happen all the time in our culture. We see it happen all the time in our church. I see it happen in my own heart all the time. People have idols. Those idols turn into ideologies. And those ideologies create groups of people that know they're right, have a noble cause, and it gains momentum for the good of everyone, of course. It's noble and we're right. Divisions in the culture are born from the riotous protection of idols. Divisions in the church are born from the riotous protection of idols. And like our story, often people get sucked into this that don't even really know why they're there. Haven't we seen this in the last year or so? They're along for the ride, they're yelling, they're angry, they're anxious, and they're exhausted. And in an age that values self-expression as the ultimate morality, and that ultimate reality does not find its exception in the church, in an age that values self-expression as the ultimate morality, things can get ugly pretty quickly. You ever seen a social media post and gone, whoa, that escalated quickly. This is what's happening. Let me just give a few examples, some close-to-home ones to make us think about this a little bit. Some ones that are uh, the acceptable ones. Maybe religion is an idol. You're tempted to find your feeling of acceptance by God or others by showing up for every event, right? Memorizing the Bible, having your kids really in line when you're at church. And you'll begin to do whatever it takes to keep that image and idol alive to the detriment of everything else in your life, to the detriment of real fellowship and communion with Jesus. And then suddenly you're sucking other people into the feeding and confirming of your idol for a noble cause, of course. Church. Or maybe certain political issues are an idol. There's anxiety and anger about what's going on out there as if it was ever good out there. And you need people to understand to save them. So you let your anger and your anxiety rise. You voice your opinion. You rally against those that don't agree for a noble cause. And yet, has anyone ever felt closer to Jesus in those moments? Or maybe your spouse is an idol. You need them to be for you what only Jesus can be. 
And I'll just tell you, when you need your spouse to be for you what only Jesus can be, they will crumble under that pressure. They can't be Jesus for you. They can't save you. They can't satisfy you the way you need to be satisfied. And you'll begin to crush them with expectations and your need for them to feed your idol of comfort and acceptance. And suddenly your spouse is the object of your riding. And of course, you just want a good marriage, right? They could just be for you. What God calls them to be for you would be okay. No, I already talked about kids. But hopefully you're noticing that idolatry is subtle. This is so subtle. Being a faithful church attender, that's a good thing. You should come. I'm not telling you not to come to church. But if that fills you with anxiety and you need it to feel loved and accepted, you might have an idol underneath that great church attendance. Good politicians, righteous policies in our government, that's a good thing. I affirm those things, right? Good policies, good politicians, good things. Anxiety and anger about them, we might just have an idol. A happy marriage, I love those. Happy marriage is a good thing. Needing your spouse to give you what only Jesus can, we might have an idol. The bottom line is our idolatry will always, always lead to a personal riot that will often spread. Riding over our idols is contagious. Ask yourself even now, where have I been filled with uncontrolled anxiety and uncontrolled burning anger lately? Ask yourself where you've been in conversation with other people who are anxious, angry, and quick to blame others for a noble cause in your mind. You might have an idol that is not only infecting you, but might just be infecting the people in your life that you say you love the most. Point number three. Repentance from idolatry. There is good news. (laughs) And the good news is that when the power and presence of Jesus breaks in and Jesus shows himself to be a treasure, oftentimes, just like idolatry is contagious, oftentimes repentance is contagious. This is what we saw last week. A collective understanding among the Ephesians that Jesus was better than any comfort or wealth. I mean, it is hard to wrap our minds around what this moment would have been. Like, you can imagine these believers. Is Jesus going to ruin our economy in Ephesus? Probably. That's what it's looking like. Is He going to make me leave the comfort of my practices that make me money and support my family? Yes. Is the temple business going to dry up? It seems that way. Will people look at me funny if I step out of this cult, this thing where we all find our collective greatness and don't do what they do? Yes. Is there some anxiety about what might come if I leave behind this thing that's been such a place of comfort and identity and wealth and maybe even power for me? Of course. They had to be feeling those things. But they're asking a couple different questions too. Is Jesus better? Is Jesus worth it? Yes. He is. And so what do you do? You burn the books. You burn the books and people see you burning the books. They go, maybe I should burn my books. 
and suddenly repentance is contagious. So let me ask you, what is Jesus asking you to bring to the foot of the cross right now? We all smuggled idols in here. (laughs) We all did. We all smuggled idols in here in our hearts. What idol have you been feeding and protecting? What are the places right now, if you're honest with yourself, where if Jesus showed up in his presence and power and asked you to really follow him and love him more than anything, it would put you on the defensive? You'd be like, I did not think you were showing up in this moment. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your reputation or your image. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's just having control of your life. You just want it to be under control. Where are you full of uncontrolled anxiety? And where are you full of uncontrolled anger? Where would Jesus want to come right now and give rest to your anxious heart and give peace to your angry soul? That's what repentance is. It's just an offer. Right? Repentance is simply stepping into reality. Right? It's seeing Jesus as He really is. He's the, the treasure of the world. And then when you see that He's the treasure of the world, you just do whatever it takes to follow Him, to stay close to Him, to walk with Him, to never be far from Him because you've seen His power and His presence and what you need more than anything else in the world. So you just go, I want to be with you. And laying aside these other things, repenting, turning from them and going with Him is just what's natural by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because He's your comfort. And He's your protection. And He's your salvation. And He's your hope. And He's your joy. And come what may, you count all else as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Him. Repentance is simply bringing our idols to the burn pile and asking Jesus for power to walk away without looking back and follow Him to fuller freedom and joy by the Spirit. Anyone want fuller freedom and joy? Anyone want to leave some stuff at the burn pile today? Say, Jesus, help me not look back. And there's good news. Point number four, redeemed from idolatry. Our idols, they need feeding and they need protecting. They need to be cared for and nourished. They need sacrifices over and over and over again. Right? Click the link again. Feeding the idol. Right? Tell the white lie again. Feeding the idol. Gossip again. Feeding the idol. Live in uncontrolled anxiety again. Feeding the idol. Burning anger, bitterness. Feeding the idol. Take it out on your spouse again. Take it out on your kids again. Take it out on your coworkers again. Feeding the idol. And we've all done it. Since we were one years old, we've done it. This is, this is what humans do. We've hid them in dark rooms, shared them with others that we think might help us feed and protect them, and then given our time and energy to them. And that's wicked. It's wicked. We've tried to create life, hope, and salvation for ourselves, and we've spurned the power and presence of Jesus. Here's how God says it in Jeremiah 2.13. This is one of my favorite pictures of just the ugliness and the insanity of our idolatry. So Jeremiah says, or God says in Jeremiah 2.13, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
That is insane. <laughs> We've forsaken the all-satisfying Savior where there's living water instead worked and worked and worked and tried to drink from broken cisterns that hold no water. That's craziness. And we all walked in here today doing it one way or another. We walked in here a little bit crazy today. But here's the good news. There is a God who needs no feeding or protecting. (laughs) Instead, he just wants to feed you and protect you. He is gentle and lowly. And he is fierce in his protection of his people. There is a God who needs no anxious sacrifices. Instead, Jesus says, I will feed you, come to me. Jesus laid down his life to purchase us and bring us into his family where there's eternal salvation, abundant life and forgiveness and freedom from our idols today. We have the power of the Spirit today. The God who we spurn for these things is the God who pursues us with goodness and mercy all the days of our life through the blood of Jesus and offers freedom and joy and fellowship with him today. There is a God who will set you free from the slave camp of your idolatry and bring you into his house and seat you at his table as a son or daughter. So what if we stop sneaking out to the garbage can like a dog returning to its vomit? That's the imagery Paul gives for this. (laughs) It's the dog who comes back and just keeps eating the same old stuff. But what if we just stopped? Because even today, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Our sins, our idolatries are cast as far as the east is from the west. And we are invited into the everlasting arms of our Father because He's paid for our sins by the blood of His Son and promises to be all that we need now and forever. So here's what I've been praying this week. That in this moment, Jesus would be seen as a treasure. (laughs) in this place, among this people, and not a threat. Some of you bow your heads and just lead us through a little time of prayer here for a few minutes. I'm going to ask you some questions Just have you talk to Jesus about each of these for a minute or two. So as you go about your day, is the power and presence of Jesus a treasure? Is His Lordship a joy? Or do you find yourself seeing him as a threat to the idols you want to live a little bit longer in your life? Talk to him about that for a minute. idols that you've tried to keep locked away in hidden rooms? What are those idols that you're feeding and nourishing and offering sacrifices to? And what other people have been infected or affected by your idols?
What are the things right now that Jesus is walking with you and showing you and asking you to bring to the burn pile? What are the things that he's asking you to leave there and walk away from? I just want you to remind yourself, talk to God about it, thank Him for it, that wherever, <laughs> wherever those idols are, wherever that shame is, that your sins have been forgiven, they've been cast as far as the east is from the west, and you've been covered by His righteousness. So as scary as it is to think about confessing those sins, walking away from them, you are safe <laughs> because of the blood of Jesus to right now walk away from that sin and walk out of that shame back into the arms of the fellowship of your Father. So Father, we do thank you even in this moment for your sending of your Son was paid for all of our idolatry, past, present, and future, covered us with his perfect righteousness, rose from the again, is risen and reigning, praying over us right now, rejoicing over us right now with loud singing, and inviting us to bring our broken idolatries to the burn pile and walk away to new freedom and joy with him. Thank you, Father, for this gift. Pour out your spirit on us now to make it a reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.